because I had my daughter, I was so determined. I wanted to see her grow up. I wanted to see her play. I wanted to see her graduate from school. I wanted to see all those things. So that was an added factor to to beat it. But at the same time, I was a single parent, and she was really shortchanged because I was limited at what I could do with her. Now, when I had good days, I had good days. I would do a lot with her. The beginning of the treatment, it was not as many good days uh, because it was just a dramatic blow to my whole system. So I go back maybe a year or two later, and now they're telling me that they see a spot on the right side. So they have to do a biopsy on the right side. They did the biopsy and it came back benign. But the thing is that I don't want to have to keep worrying about this. The doctor says it's too drastic of a measure. But if I have to keep going back to the doctor and then you're telling me, oh, we see something on the other side. Can we just resolve it? And I know, I mean, it's a decision because like women, you know, that's a part of their womanhood. Welcome to Deeper Dish. Welcome back to Deeper Dish. This week's episode is very personal to me as I have my Aunt Cherie and Aunt Angela on to talk about their experience with cancer, chemotherapy, radiation, the various surgeries they had. We also discussed the importance of family as you're recovering and experiencing things. We talk about how both of them have such a wonderful and graceful attitude um, about experiencing something as trying and brutal and demanding as cancer. Hope you enjoy it. So first of all, thank you for joining me on my podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. (laughs) No problem. I wanted to spend some time with you and talk about your experience with the big C, cancer. You were diagnosed a long time ago, and I can say now you beat it. And so you've been in how many years now of remission? Mm, a little bit over 25 years. Okay, a little bit, so you won't I won't give you age, but a little bit of, <laughs> a little bit over 25 years. Yes. So you've been in remission now and recovery for 25 years. So what I want to talk about first is how did you come to finding out that you had cancer? Okay. As I said, I was pretty young, and I had this terrible cold that would never, ever go away. You know, initially I would just go to the doctor every six months, and I would see my same doctor, but he could see that I was progressively getting worse with the cold instead of getting better. But every time they did test on me, nothing really came across on the test. So everything came back negative. Negative, right. And I was so young, they didn't want to expose me to too much radiation. Eventually, I was in a car accident, and they had to do x-rays for that. Mm -hmm. And so they did see a little something. So uh, I went back to the doctor, and they kept saying I was too young to have cancer or whatever. Right. So I would progressively get worse with this cold. It was like a chronic cold. Mm -hmm. I'm always coughing. I always have all this mucus. And the doctor says, Dr. Simon was his name, I'm just going to give you this bronchoscopy where they put a scope in my nose. They put some kind of numbing medicine in my nose first. Mm -hmm. Then they push the scope through my nose, down through my throat, into my lungs. And I had to have a biopsy test came back negative so i go home Mm -hmm. i couldn't figure out what was happening so it's starting to get a little cool outside and i'm starting to get worse with the cold again and maybe two weeks after the bronchoscopy i started coughing up blood i was at the store at the mall and i started coughing up lots and lots of blood And so I called him, and he says, well, we have to be a little bit more aggressive. We have to figure out something is definitely wrong. So they brought me in again and did another bronchoscopy, and they realized that it was where the scope land the first time, the initial time, they didn't get it. But there was a malignant tumor in my right lung, and it was blocking my bronchial tubes 
you can't see it on the x-rays very well because it was kind of hiding. So after the blood came up and they did it the second time, obviously they got a good spot. They was able to determine that there was cancer. It wasn't lung cancer. So I had to go through all these tests to determine what kind of cancer I had. It was all kinds of tests. They cut my feet. There's little vessels in your feet. They had to pump dye in those little vessels. Mm -hmm. The vessels are smaller than a needle, but they had to put a needle inside the vessel in order to pump the dye. You know, the needle would break the vessel. So they have to keep cutting my feet. And I'm like... I'm 24 years old. Right, right. They're cutting up my feet. <laughs> you worry about your feet? That's what I was worried about. how sexy your feet are when they're, yeah, trying to they, they're trying to save your life? Well, at this time, <laughs> I, they were just doing the test right, right. to determine what really was going on. Mm -hmm. And I guess I was feeling a little sorry for myself, too. One of the fortunate things, they did decide that I had the cancer, but they had to determine what kind it was. So they assigned me an oncologist. And the fortunate thing about that is Dr. Sarah Baker, I was her very first patient as an oncologist. Okay. So she was determined for it to be successful. Wow. So I was very, very happy about that. And she addressed any issues that I had. So I was in the hospital. I was admitted when they were taking the tests. They came to the conclusion that it was Hodgkin's between the stages of three and four. They never really was definite about what stage but they said perhaps between three and four. Oh wow so at 24 years old doctor comes in run all these tests mm -hmm. you kind of worry about your feet but then they deliver the news that it's in between stage three and four so like before um, it metastasized what are you thinking how are you feeling I know my doctor Dr. Simon I have been seeing him for four years mm -hmm. He was really sorry that he had to tell me that. But I let him know that I was relieved to know what was wrong, and hopefully we can work out a plan to get it right. <laughs> right, right, right. I was really relieved to at least I know what's wrong now. Uh -huh. Because I was a relatively young woman, new child. How old was your daughter at the time? She was four. Wow. And I couldn't do a lot with her, so... I wanted to get my life back. You were relieved, so you didn't have any other emotions. You didn't have fear. I was, I was afraid. A little bit. I was, okay. I was pretty much afraid, but I was relieved to know. And for some reason, I felt that I was going to be fine. Those that don't know, Angela is my aunt. Uh -huh. and I know we have a big family. You have eight siblings, yes. right? Between your parents. So who was the first person you called? It was my mom, and I told her. And she wouldn't, she was just quiet. I didn't want her to be afraid. Was that on the phone or was that no, in person? No, I called her and I told her to come to the hospital. Okay. And she came. And that's when I told her. And I've always taken on this role in the family that I always have to protect or have to take care. And I wanted her to see that I was fine, that I wasn't overly frightened. I was concerned, but we just have a plan. We'll work, we'll work it out. And so she was fine after, you know, she was really quiet initially. Yeah. And I'm sure she probably cried to herself. Privately, yeah. Yeah, privately. But she didn't do it with me. It seems like all the women in our family try to take on that role and try to stay strong for everybody, including my grandmother, who I call Mama. So that doesn't surprise me. Did you ever have a moment of just breaking down? I had several moments of that. The most agonizing part was waiting for them to tell me what kind of cancer because by them determining the type of cancer would determine my outcome. I'm in the hospital having these nightmares about the things that they may say, but I just figure I'll be fine. Whatever, whatever the outcome is, I'll be fine. I can't change anything. What was the game plan that the doctor gave you? Well, one of the things that my oncologist said immediately is that Hodgkin's is easily treated. That if you have to have cancer, Hodgkin's is the one to get. Because the lymph nodes is like at the end of the blood vessels. And so if you put the chemotherapy in your bloodstream, it's going to go all over the body into the lymph nodes. So it'll be easily treated. 
However, the treatment is pretty harsh. So it sounds easily treated, but these physical bodies can only endure so much. Right. From my perspective, when I was growing up, because we lived together, I remember you getting chemotherapy and you had radiation. Yes. Right? Those treatments had different effects on you. Absolutely. One of the frightening things that I had to experience, I was in a hospital when they initially started chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And I had this game plan. We're going to do the chemotherapy, and they were going to administer it to me in the hospital. So I'm going down to the cancer center, and a student doctor comes to me and say, they do not know what you have. You do not have Hodgkin's. They don't know. I'm about to have chemotherapy, and they're about to treat me for something they don't, they're not sure about. So when my, my oncologist comes back, I'm alarmed, and I'm putting the brakes on everything. And she's like, oh, what happened? You're on board for everything. And so I explained to her what happened. I don't know what happened to that student, but they reassured me that I had Hodgkin's. And so <laughs> did that student ever come around again? No, I don't I never saw her ever again. And I think she was trying she felt that she was doing me a service, but it wasn't her place to tell me that if that was the case. Yeah. Was it true? They said it was not, but you know, they talk among themselves. So right. at that point I felt like I was being a guinea pig because they were gonna see how it works. So I start chemotherapy. My mother brings the food. She's insisting that I eat all this food because I'm going to get so skinny from cancer. You know, all the things that people believe about cancer. Right. So I eat all this food, and, you know, they give you all this, these chemicals, and so I'm sick as a dog now. Can't hold it down. I can't hold it down. Although they gave me anti-nausea medication, yeah. I still would get sick on the days that I did chemo. The anti-nausea medication, it kind of make you a little... Loopy? Loopy, yes. Yeah. They would love for you to just go home and, and sleep it off because your inhibitions go completely out the window. What? Yeah, and, and whatever <laughs> you think about, you will do. So they don't want you to go shopping because oh. you just spend all your money. Okay. They want you to go home and go to bed. Okay. Whereas the radiation... It's like an extremely hot, hot day. It's just draining. The side effects from that was that my skin was burned. It turned black. And I'm not used to seeing my skin that way, so I'm trying to wash all this black off my skin, and that's my flesh washing in the drain in the sink. Right. And now I'm raw, oh. and it was excruciating. So I learned not to do that ever again. There's something I really didn't think about, right? So you're a 24-year-old, young, beautiful woman, and you have this chemical that's it's going to save your life, but it's slowly going to take away that outer beauty. How does that make you feel as you're going through it? I had so many metamorphoses. I was, all my hair is gone. Yep. Uh, the prednisone make your face swell up like a pumpkin. Mm -hmm. The chemo is... Um, always making you sick. I can remember on the days that I had to have chemotherapy, you wait in the uh, waiting area, and you know everybody's there for chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And they have free coffee for patients. They didn't want me to lose my hair so much, so they put this cap, uh, ice cap on my head. For years after that, I couldn't stand the way coffee smelled because you know, my mind would associate chemotherapy with it and I would get sick. Wow. I couldn't stand shower caps or shower curtains yeah. because it was associated with mm. uh, chemotherapy. I just did not feel beautiful at that time. I just felt that I, I was just alive. You got diagnosed. Your daughter's four years old. Is the conversation, hey, I'm sick, I'm getting better, or is it? Give her all the information. She couldn't understand all the information. Right. I did explain to her that I was seriously sick. Uh, and she saw I had to have a catheter uh, mm -hmm. in my chest. Yep. And she saw this line out of my chest. I have to explain these things to her. Uh, that's where I get chemotherapy. Uh, that's where I get my medicine. And this catheter was in all the time. All the time. It was permanent until I finished all the chemotherapy. Okay. Eventually, my 
veins would collapse if they would poke them as much as they need to. And the medicine was so harsh that it would burn. The first time I received chemotherapy, they gave them to me in my veins, and it was dark for years. Mm -hmm. So if they had to do that all the time, my veins wouldn't have lasted. So I had to have the chemotherapy put directly into the port, the catheter. And my daughter, she would see it, and she realized that that was what was going to help me get better. I think mama, my grandmother, your mother asked, what is this, a survival rate or something? We're just, we're, we would always come visit you in the hospital. Right. And I remember, like, some doctor, maybe it was Simon, maybe it was the oncologist, saying, uh, 22 to 28%. And I was like, oh, okay, that's bigger than zero. And a few years ago, I was just happened to be doing some reading on, on the form of cancer that you had. Where medicine is now, the percentage is a lot higher right. than it was back then. But then, like, 28% is not big. It's not a large number. The disease survival rate was higher, but the treatment was so harsh that it made me really sick. So there was times when my blood count was so low that I didn't have an immune system, and that's what was making me so sick. The radiation, it was so harsh that it took away my saliva, it took away my tears. Yeah. I mean, I had to get all these things artificial. So, I mean, I couldn't eat bread. I couldn't eat peanuts. I couldn't eat things that didn't have its own moisture because I couldn't make moisture right. for it. I couldn't secrete my food, so they would give me artificial saliva. That is all. <laughs> that was disgusting. Right. As you were going through your, your treatment plan, did you have any setbacks? Oh, yeah. The treatments was harsh. So it was a delay in my recovery because I had to stop. I just could not continue. Mm -hmm. So there was times when I would have to be quarantined because I couldn't be around people because my blood counts was so low or the radiation was, was so draining. You get diagnosed, you go through the treatment, but you still have this life. So how does this whole journey affect motherhood? Well, I do have to say that because I had my daughter, I was so determined. I wanted to see her grow up. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see her play. I wanted to see her graduate from school. I wanted to see all those things. So that was an added factor to to beat it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was a single parent, and she was really shortchanged because I was limited at what I could do with her. Now, when I had good days, I had good days. I would do a lot with Mm -hmm. her. The beginning of the treatment, it was not as many good days uh, because it was just a dramatic blow to my whole system. When did it turn from mostly bad days to, okay, good days? Because I remember you hanging out with Tab, me and Tab, playing Mm -hmm. with us. But then I also remember you playing with us, and then, like, the next week or two, you'd be like, I can't do anything. When the chemo, when pretty much at the end of it is the days when I was stronger. But soon after I completed all my sessions of chemo, uh, maybe a few weeks to a month, I had to start the radiation. The initial radiation wasn't bad. It's just that as it progressed, that's when it starts to take its toll on your body. How long did chemo last? Was it six months? Was it five months? They would call them sessions. I would take two complete sessions a month. The plan was to have like 10 sessions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I had to stop a lot. So treatment lasts maybe for a few years. Oh, wow. Only because I had to keep stopping. No, I get it. Yeah, but that's two years that that you're not living what you deem is a normal life Mm -hmm. with your daughter. Do you think that had an effect on her at all? I do believe it did. At least we still had each other. We were still, I was still there to take care of her, to raise her. I don't think I missed any of the most important things in her life. Radiation versus chemo. (laughs) Which one is worse? The radiation, I didn't have to do it as long. If I would have consecutively had it, it would have lasted like three months. So that was a shorter time period. But okay. 
the radiation, they accidentally radiated my spine. Oh. You know, they put blocks to prevent your lungs and your heart and your spine from right. getting radiated. And they can't completely guarantee that those things will not get radiated. So Wow. I think the recovery from everything took a lot longer than all the treatment itself. What was the chemo game plan trying to do versus the radiation game plan? Well, the chemo was the chemicals go in and it kills the cancer that was in my lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. The radiation was isolated. It went into my lungs to kill the tumor that was in my lung. The radiation was just to get that tumor. But they kind of got the lymph nodes in my neck just as a precaution. You're not in remission until like, is it five years? Yes. After, no more. So... From the time you ended your last radiation, how was that five years? I would have to go and have the checkups. But it was all positive. I felt strong again. Prior to the <laughs> the diagnosis, yeah. I was a pretty healthy person, strong, healthy girl. So my body started to get stronger. All the checkups I would go, I wouldn't have any uh, issues. I would always have pretty good results from mm -hmm. everything. There was no relapse or anything like that? No, not really. And not until I was, okay, I, I'm, I'm married now. My daughter's in college. And one of the things that happened to me when I was having chemo, I was sterile. Well, I was pretty happy. I had one child, so I was thankful for that. So they tell me I'm sterile. I'm not going to be able to have any more children. Ha! Huh. I get married. I'm married a year. I didn't really want to move forward with anyone while I was going through chemo and things like that because I wanted to be a healthy person. I didn't want anyone to have to commit to some sick lady. And so, yeah, for years I've been doing really good. And um, I get married and uh, I'm feeling something going on with my body. I'm not sure what's really going on. So I go to the hospital and they tell me I'm pregnant. Oh, I'm 41 years old. All right. And so I can't believe that I'm pregnant. I'm First of all, I'm 41. Second of all, I'm sterile. So why are you all telling me things like this? So I, I'm pregnant. And once I go to the obstetrician and they realize that I'm not just pregnant, I'm sick. From the radiation, it caused a lot of scarring in my body. The scarring in my chest, because they did some radiation in my chest, caused a tumor to grow on my heart. Mm. Now, the tumor has been there a while, but because I'm pregnant now, it's obvious that the tumor is there. And so now they have to go inside and get the tumor off my heart. It's a benign, okay. but it's there. The doctor told me that the only way that I ever would have known that tumor was there, they would have found it in the autopsy because I would have had a stroke because it would have flew off and caused me to stroke out. So I lost the baby. I had fibroid tumors, too. I had all this happening that prior to the pregnancy, I was not aware of any of it. I lose the baby, and a month after the baby, I had to have open-heart surgery. So... I thought I was a healthy woman, and I'm having these issues again. So they go in. I had a great surgeon. He goes in, and he gets the tumor. And it's interesting because now they're talking about putting a pacemaker in. For all this time that I've had this tumor on my heart, my heart's been working with this tumor on it. So now they take the tumor off. It's like an over-strengthened muscle. Now it's beating like crazy, and they want to Slow regulate it. it. Yeah. So they decide they opt not to do it. I just have a, a high pulse. That's a lot of emotional baggage. Yeah. You seem to have a pretty good outlook. You know, It doesn't seem like there are any moments where you're like, all right, this is the end. No, I'm telling you, prior to the tumor, I finished chemotherapy. Now they want to... Always check and make sure I don't have cancer other places. Mm -hmm. So female organs, they're checking. So they think I might possibly have precancer cells on my cervix. This is back then? Yes. I'm like maybe 29, 28. They say, well, you have to have a biopsy on your cervix. 
because you have these precancer cells growing on your cervix. So they go in and do the comb biopsy. Now they laser the cervix of a woman's body. When I woke up from this procedure, it's like a surgical procedure, Mm -hmm. it felt like they had put a bust, bus, school bus, and prop my person open. Well, they have to do that in order to keep the laser, but inadvertently they laser, accidentally laser the inside of my lady parts. Wow. So I wake up from surgery, I'm feeling like, this is the worst feeling ever, and my mom's there, and they won't let me leave unless I use the washroom. I have to urinate. Mm-hmm. Who wants anything to come out of that? Absolutely, I do not. Right. So I finally <laughs> get to use the washroom. They send me home, and I'm telling them that I'm having a difficult time. Something's really going wrong. Oh, no, this is routine. You're going to feel like this. I'm telling them, I'm losing it. Something's really going wrong with me. They say, no, you're fine. It turned out that because they didn't address it, it caused a urinary tract infection, which led to a kidney infection. Your mother picked me up out of the bed. I had lost so much weight just from the procedure to the time when, and it may have been a week or two, that the time span. She couldn't believe how sick I was, and she just said, I'm going to take you whether they want me to or not. I was like 90-some pounds at this point. Wow. And my side was hurting so bad. Your body could poison itself. Yeah, and that's what was happening. It caused my kidney to get very infected. So I go inside. I get in the hospital. Now they are alarmed because I have this bad kidney infection, and it could have been avoided. Worse than that, because they burn the inside of my private, it's starting to seal close. Because a burn, once a burn, burned, the flesh is healing like this. And so now it's sealing close. So I'm like, uh, I might want to use that again. (laughs) Right, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm serious. That's how I felt. Right, right. And so I had to have therapy so that that won't seal close. Yep. So those are the type of things that I had to deal with. What you're describing just now, that's a side effect from a procedure, but that wouldn't have happened if you didn't have cancer. Exactly. Right? So that's a physical side effect, but then there's a, there's like the medicine starts to do things to you mm-hmm. as well, and there are some side effects, right, that you still have to deal with, that you still have to get checked up on. The battle is not really over. No. I have a chronic cough, and I was concerned that I would cough while you're interviewing me because of all the scarring. So my girlfriends, we went to Denver, the one friend, her sister lives there, so she was explaining to me, you know, the high altitude, the air is thinner. Uh, okay. <laughs> we land in Denver, and we're just getting off the plane. Oh, okay. We're deboarding. Yeah. I'm thinking, I must have gotten sick on the plane. They're gone on off. I'm like, I can't breathe. I'm about to die. I cannot breathe. I'm not even associating my lung problem with the air, one friend, Sharon, she says, oh, Angela, what's happening? I was like, I don't, I have no idea. So all the time when we were there, maybe five days. Wait, so for five days you didn't put it together that this? Oh, I knew after I got into the airport, they're walking fine. I realized it was because of the altitude. Mm-hmm. When I get back, I talk to my doctor. I was like, I felt like the weakest link. My friends are running around, and I'm struggling. Just, She says, if you would have stayed there long enough, my body, my lungs would have made the adjustments. But I was trying to pull air from an area in my lungs that I have no capacity. Are there places where you felt really good versus feeling really bad? The warmer climate is better for me, but... Since I've been going through the menopause. Uh, the menopause. That's okay. what I call it. It's the enemy. Yeah. I had surgery that helped me to get into menopause. After I had all the open heart surgery and got better from that, they had to go and address the fibroids. And Man. 
that I had to have surgery the same year, but they had to give me a hysterectomy to, um, so that they won't come back. Wow. Your body has been through quite a bit. Everybody in the family adjusted, right? When you were going through what you were going through, everybody was cognizant. If we brought a baby over, you tell them, be careful with the catheter. Mm -hmm. Or we wouldn't have functions when you were super tired. We wouldn't have people over or we had to be quiet. Did, like, family members treat you, like, really delicate for a long time? For years, yes. Really? Yes. How so? My mom always thought that I couldn't do this or don't do this around her. Right. For years, my mom was a smoker, and because I had issues with my lungs, she stopped. When I had my daughter, my daughter had a collapsed lung. My mother would never smoke around her, but after all of this, she just she just refused to smoke anymore. My mom was a smoker, too, and yeah. she stopped. Yeah. I don't know if it was because of you or something else, but she just stopped cold, she stopped. cold turkey. Did everybody... Stop cold turkey? Um, my dad stopped smoking. My mom stopped smoking. And I don't know if it was absolutely a contributing to my situation, but I know that they were concerned. Everybody was concerned. Yeah. I know my sister, your aunt Yvette, she is the closest to my age. We're a year apart. When I first was diagnosed, she refused to come and see me in the hospital. After reassuring her that I wasn't dying, she was more comfortable with it. But I think everybody had to do. I mean, that was the first time someone close in our family was sick. That was a morbid thing. It was taboo. You didn't talk about it. You yeah. don't want to know anything about it. Yeah. So you talk about your sisters. You talk about your mom, mama, your brothers. I haven't heard you talk about their reaction or your dad's reaction, daddy's reaction. My dad, he was just supportive. I think he was afraid that there was something that he couldn't help me with, so he would never talk about it. My brothers, the youngest one, Sean, Mm -hmm. he would come to the hospital. And when I had my feet cut up and they were trying to pump the medicine or the dye in the vessels, I had several cuts. So they had lots of stitches. Mm -hmm. So I had to keep them still, and they had to sit erect. And he would knock my feet off the bed. He just come by accidentally, just careless. He was just a kid. He didn't understand. Yeah. I just say, please, please, Stay please, the bed. just go. <laughs> just go. <laughs> just go. When I was sick and I had to go in the hospital a lot, everyone would always come to the hospital all the time. So I felt I had a lot of support. And I think that's what contributed to me doing so well. I felt like I was there a lot. I know you were. I know you knew I was sick, but you didn't let that stop you from having an interaction with me. You weren't overly concerned. I think sickness in families, it do make the children have to make adjustments that they shouldn't have to make. Inadvertently, the lady that was at one time as a nurse in the uh, chemotherapy center She told my daughter, because she was with me one time, she says, I want you to take care of your mommy. She took it to heart. She literally thought she had to take care of me. So if if Annette asks you to do something for me, you were very serious about that. That's the only part that I feel bad about is Mm. because it takes a whole family to help a person to get well. But it's, it's hard when children have to be put in positions when they should just be being happy. I feel like long term like you getting sick changed the trajectory of my life right right my mom always and that always jokes about when her company's just going to be done with her because she's been working the same place for 39 years and i said when they get rid of you when they leave you i'm going to write them a letter because her job is one of the many things in my life that changed the trajectory of my life like you grow up where we grew up a lot of people didn't work where my mom worked, right? Mm-hmm. And my mom's not a lawyer, but she's been working at the same place for 39 years. And that place gave me an opportunity to see young professionals, see African-Americans be successful. So in that same vein, you getting sick, and I don't wish anybody to get sick, but when we moved from North Lawndale to Little Italy, I started to go to a different schools, different type of schools, seeing different type of people, still poor people, <laughs> but exposed to different things. I was exposed to teachers, that really 
I think the teachers before cared, but I started to notice that I was different somehow, and the, and the teachers didn't, like, say, are oh, you weird? They embraced it. I actually think going to the hospitals, I was impressed with what I was seeing. Like, they got this feel that people don't like about them. Right. But coming from where we come from, where I grew up, there was a lot of nice stuff. We would always eat well mm-hmm. <laughs> when we went to the hospital. Not that we ate poorly, but it was just different. You know, we saw doctors. You know, we saw all this stuff. We saw all this equipment. So in my mind, I was like, this is interesting stuff. But then there was an emotional part where, like, this person who's, like, my second mom is really sick. But being over there got me into, like, I never played organized sports. I started playing organized sports. Mm -hmm. We met, you know, Coach Roberts, lived in our building. Like, if we didn't live there, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. That definitely did change how I viewed life. But it also, you grow up with this this idea that when someone gets sick, you just have to get closer, right? And it's happened several times in our family. We're going to talk to Cherie as well right. about her experience. It wasn't uncommon to have like seven or eight people in your room at one time. It just became kind of like the hangout for the family. Like, so I'm sorry that you got cancer, but um, a lot of good came out of it in my life that you went through that experience. And I, th- I also think that you and my mom, and me and Tab got closer. Right. You just have to, you know? Um, so I, I, the stuff I'm hearing today, I'm just surprised. Some of the stuff I've never even heard. I, and I don't understand how you're so, you're like, you're just, you're chill about it all. Your body has been through a lot. Yeah, and it still goes through a lot. And your mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, you have you have this really good attitude about it, and you know what that what that's what makes the difference. Even now, when I go to the hospital and um, they'll say something or I'm experiencing something, some things I just don't have no control over. Right, and I realize that I could be in better shape. I have to admit that. But the things that I can control, I, I'll try to control. I remember when I was going through the chemotherapy, I was young, but there was a 19-year-old kid. Maybe he was younger than that. He was getting ready to go to college, and he was a basketball star. It was nine children in his family, Mm. and he was so angry that he felt that one of his other siblings should have gotten that. He should not have had the cancer. He was about to be a star. That was going to put a a hiccup in his life. And I think because of his anger, it probably delayed his recovery. Whereas my perspective was, I'm tough enough to handle it. That's what I thought, you know, that's what I felt. And I'd rather I go through it than someone that maybe not be able to handle it as, as well. Your youngest sister went through her battle. What was your thoughts on that? That's the part that's difficult for me because... I felt like I would rather go through it again than to have her go through it at all. But she did good. You get more emotional about that than your own experience. Because I can't control anything about that. Yeah. I I would rather have gone through it again than for her to have to go through it at all. So as she went through her journey, like, how did you keep it all together? What did you think your role was? My role was to reassure her that she would be okay, even if I wasn't convinced myself. I strongly feel that what don't kill us will make us stronger. Yeah. And, I mean, I would never want anybody to have to go through it. But I feel that because of it, I think it made me a better person. It made me a more patient person, a more tolerant person, a person that can put stuff in perspective and realize some things are just not that serious and not that important. I want to thank you for coming on and letting me ask you all these crazy invasive (laughs) questions. But you know what? I'm pretty open. I figure if I went through all of this, I'm going to tell a story. So at least maybe one person I can help. So first off, I want to thank you for coming on and telling your story on your journey with cancer. Thank you for having me. I know where you're from. But how are you connected to Chicago? Where are you from? I am from the west side of Chicago, born and raised. And I currently reside in the western suburb. Nice. What schools did you go to growing up? I went to two grammar schools. Started out at Pope Grammar School, 
but graduated from Mason Grammar School, both on the west side of Chicago. Yep. Then for high school, I was fortunate enough to go to Lane Tech, and it was good. Uh, I was glad that I was able to get out of the neighborhood and go and see other things. Was it different? It was different. I mean, we still had a lot of um, African-American kids that went to school there, but also, you know, you had other races of children that went there. So it gave me the benefit of seeing other people. So when you attended, did all those people mingle and talk to each other? For the most part, I had friends that were of different races. Of how close, like, did they come visit you? Did you go visit them? No, my mom, she was like, I didn't have that type of uh, relationship with friends where I would go to their house and yeah. visit them. If I did go, I I was sneaking to go, so I really didn't go. Right, you want to say your mom wasn't that type of mom. What, what, what does that mean? She was like, you come home, you know, yeah. you don't go and spend the night or go and hang out, you know, just come home, do what you need to do. and. Yeah, but you're like the youngest of nine. Yeah, so. I'm the youngest of nine. <laughs> <laughs> so mom you know she was a more mature or older lady in my opinion you know as I was growing up as a, a teenager it wasn't overbearing to me it was just that's how my mom was it was like you know the kids used to tease me Sheree can you go here my mom said I can't and then that's just right. what it was right and you know I didn't question it like well why can't I it's like she said no, and yeah, that's yeah. it. It was like, don't go around, because we stayed on Spalding. So yep. Sawyer was our next block to the east yep. and Christiana to the west. So we just basically had to stay on Spalding. There was no going over on Sawyer, no yep. going over on Christiana. Yep. So so you were diagnosed with cancer, right? Yes. Is that, is that difficult for you to talk about? No, it's not. I mean, I have my moments when I have become emotional, but... You know, I try to keep it together. What gets you really emotional about it? When I think about having to go through the experience and my mom, you know, she had passed away during the time when it occurred. So she was like my go-to. She was the one to help me to get through whatever it is that I would encounter. And for her not to be there when I was going through that most difficult thing, yeah, I get emotional about that. When you were going through it and your mom wasn't there, you had... Your five sisters? Yes. Are those the folks that help you get through it the most? Yes, yes, yes. Without them, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, I don't know. They helped me. My family, not just my sisters helped a, a great, great deal. But, you know, I have three brothers also. My nephews, my nieces. It was just having my family around me at that time mm -hmm. really helped me to get through that part of my life. It was a total shock adjustment. It was just a lot of different emotions and mm -hmm. feelings that went on in my life at that time. So having yeah. my family there with me yep. to get through it, 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 it yeah. really did help. How did you get diagnosed? Well, I had um, been taking mammograms for quite some time because I had very dense breast, very large at the time, and uh, so my doctor, she recommended that I start taking mammograms at an earlier age, like in my early 30s. So I went in for a routine checkup. Um, I had been having some issues with my insurance or whatever, and they were like, no, just come, do your mammogram, don't skip out on your mammogram. Okay, so I go. I had just gone back to work, was working consistently. So I go in for the mammogram, and they do the exam and everything, they have you to go and sit out in the waiting room so that they can examine all of the pictures. They called me back. The radiologist wanted to talk to me. They showed me the pictures on the screen, and they said, this right here, they were pointing to a, a spot, like a, a growth or something. They said, this is what we're concerned with. I'm like, oh, okay. They said, so we want to do a biopsy to check and see what's going on with it. So I said, okay. So we go ahead and we schedule to have the biopsy done. So I'm not really thinking. I'm like, oh, it's probably nothing. You know, I'm trying to be positive about this. Oh, it's nothing. So we go back for the uh, biopsy. I can't move. They got my breast in this thing that they're going to stick this needle through my breast so that they can pull out some tissue and then examine it. Was that painful? Yes, it hurts a little bit. But they give you some numbing cream, but you still feel. You know, I went back to work and everything. I'm mm -hmm. doing everything. So I get a call, and they were like, you know, this is so-and-so, the doctors, whoever. 
I was like, okay. I just wanted to tell you that the test came back. It shows that, you know, it's cancer. I was like, what? Okay. So what do I do, you know? Right, right. So So what do I do with this news? You know, we make a doctor's appointment so that I can go back and talk to the doctors. But in the meantime, after they've given me this information, I'm figuring I need somebody to talk to to tell but I don't want to tell everybody, you know, what's going on right. until I know more information. So I call Annette, which is your mom, my, my mom. sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think within my sisters, we all have all of our different personalities. Yeah. Some people can handle more different information than others can. I picked Annette because I felt that I could talk to her. I could tell her what was going on and that she wouldn't freak out. So I told her, I said, I just need you to go to the doctor with me so that we can find out what's going on. So she says, okay. She agreed. I'm sure she probably had her little side issues or whatever with what I was going through. So we meet, we go to the doctors, and they're informing me about what they found and Mm -hmm. the course of treatments that we wanted to do. It was like everything was just so overwhelming. It was like coming at you like all this information, and it's like, this is too much. Yeah. I had a really good care team there. Decided we were going to do chemotherapy first. Then we were going to do surgery. Then we were going to do radiation. And okay, this is over of course. We started chemotherapy like right away because they wanted to shrink the growth. And then after that, we went ahead and did the surgery. I was affected on my left side. So they went in, they removed the lump, and then they also did a breast reduction on the left side. After I healed a little bit, I started doing my radiation. Mm -hmm. But before all of that, I set up so that I could tell everybody what had happened, what was going on before the treatment started. So I called up all my sisters. I was like, I want you guys to come over, you know, just come over to the house. I I got some information, you know, I want to tell you all. And it was my niece, Tabitha, all of my sisters and everything. And they were like, well, what's going all, on? So it was all the women. Yeah, it was all the women. So everybody's giving, getting their like, minds like, what is she talking about? What's going on? Right. So they come on over. And we sitting around. And we eating a little bit. And then I decided to tell them. They were like, well, what's going on? I said, well, I just wanted to let you guys know, you know, that I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And some of them got upset with me like why did you wait to tell us you know (laughs) why didn't you tell us beforehand when it first happened I'm like I just wanted to make sure that I knew what was going on before I go and share information and you know I don't know so yeah they were a little upset but then that's when all of the outpouring of support you know we're here for you you know whatever it is that you need we'll go to chemotherapy with you if you need us to so they took turns going to chemotherapy with me. I think I would go in on a Thursday because I was still trying to work at the time also. Yeah, which is crazy, but go ahead. Yes. You got bills though, right? Your I life got bills. Your life don't stop. Life does not stop. You, you just keep going. So I, um, I scheduled for to have my treatments on Thursdays so that I would just go to work that Friday and then have the weekend to rest. So I thought that's how it was going to work. So I go back to work after my first chemotherapy treatment. I was working in construction at the time. My foreman saw me because I, I, you know, I talked to my foreman about it, told him what was going on with me. I was like trying to hide because I was not feeling like doing anything. I didn't want to be there, but I knew that I had to be there because I still had to provide for myself so he says no you cannot be here like this so I said well what options do I have so he says I'll make some calls we'll figure out and then we'll go from there so he gave he made some calls to find out information and he gave me the phone number to call so that I could start setting up for my short-term disability which worked out great because you work in construction it becomes a safety issue not only for yourself, but for you, the rest of your crew. Exactly. Right? And you do, you're an electrician. So, you know, you need to be ready to work, you know, yeah. at your full capacity. And chemotherapy would not allow you to be yeah. at full capacity. I went on short-term disability, but the way that my insurance works is if you don't work, you don't pay into the benefit. So, therefore, I had to go on COBRA. It's good. COBRA is great. 
to have so that I could have the insurance coverage that I had while I was working. But it's very expensive. But I had to make sure that I had health care to go through. So I know when when my grandmother, your mom, got sick, yep. they all took a day with her in her last year. You all took a day. Yep. So they all took a day with you as well, probably. But what was that like just having a day with one of your siblings? It was good to just have that comfort and support from them because we would go to the chemotherapy session. I had a port. They give you access to the vein without having to go through your arms. So it's like Angie's catheter. Yeah. Yep. And we go in, we play cards. You know, we do activities to keep my mind off of what I was having inserted into my body right. for the most part. Right. It was good to have them there. And then to see, because you would have some people that wouldn't have anyone there. Right. So to have my family there to support me, I really, really appreciated that. And then we'd go home. They pretty much make sure that I was set up comfortable because I would just want to be pretty much by myself. After I had the treatment, I didn't feel like myself anymore. It felt okay for me to be at home by myself. I really didn't want them to see me like so weak because I felt like really weak at that time. It was really, really good having them to be there with me and make sure that I was okay. And it helped with my attitude. I think that that helped a lot with my recovery. Just actually getting through this crazy thing. With the chemotherapy, it's like you're poisoning yourself so that you can get better. But my one doctor, she told me, you know, even with everything that you're going through, she said, you know, have your moment, but don't live in it. And I think that that was the best advice that anybody could have given me. Because when you're going through all of those different treatments Mm -hmm. and situations, you do, you feel like, why is this happening to me? This is like the worst thing ever. Mm If you allow yourself to stay in that place, that has an effect on your attitude, on your will to want to survive and to want to keep going. So it's like just have your moment, be all sad and everything, but don't live in it. Snap yourself out of it because you got to live. It's not the end of the world. You will survive. What age were you diagnosed? I was 36. You were working. You had your own place. You had a life. That you were loving. So how do you make that transition from focusing on what you, your life was to, all right, I got to focus on being healthy. How was that? It was an adjustment, but it was just like a decision. Like you want to worry about having a home or you want to worry about living. I just felt like, why is this happening? It's like life. You know, things happen and you make the adjustment and you keep going. What was one of the setbacks that happened that kind of freaked you out along the way? I guess with the treatments and stuff, I thought I was losing my mind because I started not remembering things. You know, I talked to the doctors and I talked to the psychiatrists and things of that nature. And it just helped me to say a lot of these things that you're experiencing is a part of the treatment. Like, I guess they call it chemo brain where... You just don't remember. I mean, I could I could recall where there are words that I want to speak. It's like on the tip of my tongue, but they won't come out because I can't remember this is what I should be saying. There are folks that say when they go through something traumatic like this, that people start looking at them differently, that people start to look at them as like, treat them like glass objects sometimes. Did you experience any of that? Well, I guess a little bit where with my sisters and stuff, you know, they just want to make sure that you are okay. My niece would come over, Tab would come over and spend the night, her and the baby, just to make sure that I was okay. And it's like, I'm fine. You'd rather have that than have what some other people had, which was nothing. Exactly. um, So how long did you have chemo and then how long did you have radiation? The chemo, they were were in cycles because it was like once a week. I would have to go in. I can't remember exactly how many cycles that I went through. Radiation, I want to say 28 days. These are like things that I should know, know, but you kind of push it out of your mind once you've gone through it, I guess. But yeah, it seems like it was forever. What were you looking forward to the most of it being over? I just wanted to feel normal. I wanted to feel like myself again. And going through the chemotherapy, you know, you lose your hair. 
everywhere. <laughs> I can remember I used to wear my hair natural, which I still do. But I had like uh, these little coils in my hair. And I was just in the mirror one day. I had started my treatments and everything. And I just pulled one of them, just straightening it out. And it came out. And I was like, it's starting. And that kind of freaked me out because the doctors tried to prepare me for what was going to occur. And uh, they told me, your hair is going to come out. I said, well, will I lose weight? They said, well, unfortunately, the kind of breast cancer that you have, no, you will gain weight. So I'm like, gosh, I got to have cancer and I got to get fat too. <laughs> <laughs> so my hair starts to come out. So so that I can have control, and instead of just letting it all just fall out on its own, I did. I went to a good friend of mine, which is no longer here with us, but he cut the rest of it off for me. Then I was like, it's taking place. Again, I asked my doctor, when will I feel normal again? She says eventually it'll happen. You mentioned Bert was the one to cut your hair. Bert's no longer with us. He passed away in a car accident. There are moments throughout the experience that are more emotional than others, right? Yeah. So was that moment an emotional one to get to that point to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to take ownership and cut my own hair, and I'm going to go and have a friend do it? Was that emotional? Because I, I talked to Bert about it. He yeah. was like, I was honored, and I wanted yeah. to do it right, and I wanted <laughs> it. So how was that experience for you? It was hard, but I, I, I just trusted him that he would take care of me in that moment where I could have control. It was going to happen anyway. I just wanted him to do that for me. And he did. He just told me, you know, you'll be all right. It's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. I still have my hair. Right. Oh, you, you kept it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> After you do that, how does that feel? Do you feel like, shit, I just did this to myself? Or like, you know what? This is something I can take. It was pretty much this is something I can take. Even before the cancer, I had cut my hair down. I was going through the phase where I had a perm, and then I wanted to go natural. My mom lived out of town at the time. So I had cut my hair, and I was picking her up. She gets in the car, and I said, okay, Ma, I'm going to show you my hair. You know, I'm going to take my hat off. So I took my hat off, and I showed her my hair. And she looked at it, and she says, put your hat back on, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So I had been, you know, at that point where it was something different. I had already had that to happen to me before. So for me to just take (laughs) ownership and just, you know, be able to do that on my own, it was okay. I was like, I got this, you know, it'll be fine. It's just hair. It'll grow back. How long was your radiation? I don't remember exactly how many days. It was long. It was longer than your chemo? Yeah, because chemo, it pretty much went in cycles. Radiation was like an everyday process. Like, you got to come in, you got to come in, you got to come in. Were there any side effects from the treatment that saved your life? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I really remember with the side effect from the chemotherapy was the nerves in my hands. I would get a lot of tingling, my hands and my feet. With my hair, although my hair grew back, it grew back a very different texture. Not bad. I mean, I like it, the texture, but... (laughs) It's thin in certain areas. My eyebrows did not grow back fully. You know, I don't have large breasts anymore. When you said about things that defined you, you know, like the hair, well, it was breasts for me because that's what I had. And um, it was no more. So that was something that I really had to get used to. I, I had went out for dinner. This was after chemo was over and everything. I was recovering. And... I went out for dinner with a friend of mine I hadn't seen in a while. And he knew I had gone through cancer and everything. So when I saw him, he was like, you really went down. And he was talking about my breasts because they had been so large before. But it was something that I just said, okay, this is, this is the new me. I remember doing the process where I was lopsided. And I say lopsided because the left side had been reduced And the right side was still like double the size of the left. They made a prosthesis for me. I had to wear that for about a year. I had one surgery in 2012, and then I had to wait for it to heal with the radiation and everything. So I was lopsided for a year because I couldn't have but the other surgery until 2013, where they went in and they reduced the right side to match with the left. Then after that, I was able to 
get my recovery really going. You had an older sister that went through this. I don't think we ever did any kind of cancer walks before. And now that's every year thing. Why did it become such a big thing in our family now after your experience versus what happened before? I think because our family has been affected. My older sister, Angie, she had a form of cancer. And the walks have just become more popular, I guess I can say. We have aunts that have dealt with breast cancer as well. And it's just to show support that we have been affected by this directly, that you can survive. It's not the end of the world. And that people are affected in all walks of life. I think one of the things it helps with, too, is not only support, is also engagement and awareness. With you and Angie's experience, I now know that because it's my mom's sister's siblings, I have to get my daughters exactly. tested. I have to get tested. Because it does affect men as well. It's a responsibility as a parent that if you know your family history, exactly. you kind of got to be prepared. We were very fortunate where we lived before. The three-day walk went by a house. Yeah. So we used to sit out on the porch and, and yeah. ring the bell and mm-hmm. cheer. It literally went right past our house. You're a year into your remission, right? So it's like five years before you can call yourself in remission. Are there things in your life that change, whether it be for the good or bad, that you picked up on after your experience? I started to work out more. I used to pamper myself and like, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. I better not do this. And it's like, live, just live. As one person told me, you got a second chance. Enjoy it. The doctor said your eating habits, exercising, that'll help you in the long run. So my five years, I've done it. Come on, it's time to get this weight off of you and get better so that you can live a little bit longer. When I was going through the chemotherapy, food did not taste the same. It was like a metallic taste. It just would not taste the same. And I think it was from all of the different drugs. It was like I couldn't use silverware. I had to use plasticware because the silverware would taste funny in my mouth. Do you find yourself worrying about what you went through? I worry about it coming back. I do. I try not to occupy myself with it, but I keep thinking, where did it come from? Why did it happen? What did I do wrong to make it happen? Am I doing it right so that it won't happen again? I asked the doctor, and she told me what my treatment plan would be. I said, well, can we just remove both breasts? She says, well, no, Miss Moore, that would be too drastic of a decision to make. She says, we'll just focus on the one side. I said, okay. It's like every six months I have to go back and have, rather be an MRI Mm -hmm. or a mammogram done. And they do both sides. So I go back maybe a year or two later, and now they're telling me that they see a spot on the right side. So they have to do a biopsy on the right side. They did the biopsy and it came back benign. But the thing is that I don't want to have to keep worrying about this. The doctor says it's too drastic of a measure, but if I have to keep going back to the doctor and then you're telling me, oh, we see something on the other side, can we just resolve it? And I know, I mean, it's a decision because, like, women, you know, that's a part of their womanhood. But I still have two boobs, so I still go and get my checkups. I go and get my MRIs. Our family is really close-knit. Yep. But we're also kind of stoic where we don't really share how we're feeling in the moment with our family. What would you like to say to your family? I would say that I truly appreciate them being there with me during that time. Rather, it was me laughing, crying, them just being there to go to help me to get through that process. I just truly appreciate and love them. I always say, my family, those are my true friends. To get through that process, I just will love them for that. Always. I love those people. (laughs) (laughs) I talked to Angie for a good deal of time, and the only time that she got emotional was when she was talking about you. So 
I'm going to ask you this question. You were very young when she went through her experience. What, what did that feel like in your head emotionally and mentally having your big sister go through that? It was just not, you know, the best thing to see her weak. She would try to be strong, but it was just like wearing on her. You know, she had a little girl and everything, my niece, <laughs> and she just had to be there for her. It was just hard to see. We try to be strong for each other. We do. You see your family sick. You don't want to be like, oh, and making them feel worse. It's hard for them to deal with. So you try to be strong. And I did not like seeing her like that. Yes, I was young, but I do remember her. She was like really fragile, but she fought. And she got through it. But she, she's a strong little old lady. <laughs> I'm going to try to find and let her listen, let you listen to what she said. I felt like I would rather go through it again than to have her go through it at all. But she did good. You get more emotional about that than your own experience. Because I can't control anything about that. Yeah. I, I would rather have gone through it again than for her to have to go through it at all. I don't know that I'm deserving of her. To feel that, I mean, I, it's just unbelievable to me that people love me like, because that's like just love, that people love me so much that they would rather go through something than to have me to go through it. It's a beautiful thing to me. Why does it make you sad? Because I would not want my sister to have to experience anything like that. I just wouldn't. Again. Exactly. A lot of times I always feel like our family, we know there's a lot of love, yep. but we don't really tell people in the moment. I think it shows people that when you're going through stuff, what you do need is you need people like that in your life. And in our own little way, we're no different than other families. Yeah. You know, we have our drama and we have yeah. our, all our stuff. But what I've learned is when we have a crisis mm -hmm. or we have things like this, we kind of put that shit to the side for a minute, yep. <laughs> whether it be a couple of years, and we get through it, and we try to make sure that the family is well taken care of. Your sisters and you taking a day off each week and talking to your bosses about your mom's health going down or whether everybody goes with you to chemotherapy or your brother's having knee replaced, you know what I mean? Yep. Everybody just drops, they, they just make it a part of their lives, no matter yep. what's going on. Yeah, I hope that... You know, just hearing our journey can, if if anybody is going through something, it doesn't have to be cancer or anything like that. Just be something in life. Try not to let it get the best of you. Take it one day at a time. Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah. Intro, mixing, editing is done by Alyssa Moxley. Produced by me, Farah. Our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls, and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com. Or on Twitter, our handle is at deeperdishshy. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com.